0: Each and every Friday morning at this time, uh, our friends with the Consumer Choice Center uh, join the program. Yael Osowski and David Clement uh, hosts the Consumer Choice uh, Radio Show, which airs at 10 a.m. Saturdays uh, here on the Big Talker FM. Yael uh, is a part of a wedding today uh, and uh, is enjoying uh, the union of uh, two of his mates uh, in Vienna. So his tag team partner is filling in, pinch hitting for Yael Lasowski from north of the border in Ontario, Canada. Our friend David Clement joins us for the first time ever here on the Big Talker FM. David, how does it feel to come in to the entrance with Brett the Hitman Heart theme music bringing you into the conversation this morning, David? How are you, sir? Well, I'm, I'm doing well. I
1: don't think you could have picked more fitting music
0: um
1: so i love it love the intro music i have big shoes to fill here and so i think that that gets the, the blood pumping and me ready to go
0: david l- give us a, a little insight you know yell gives a great perspective each week uh, you know sort of uh, what life is like uh, you know on the other side of the pond in vienna mm-hmm. and throughout the eu tell us what life is like uh, you know and has been like over the past several months uh, north of the border
1: um, I would be lying if I said it's been good. Um, so it's it's really an interesting circumstance here because our vaccination rates, uh, both for first and second doses, are much higher than the United States. But that really hasn't correlated to opening the economy like it has in the U.S. And so there's a little bit of a bitterness here um, that I can feel creeping in um, for people who... Uh, in their view, have kind of done their part, right? They've gone out and gotten a vaccine, and I think we're well north of 60% uh, with two doses. Um, But it it didn't correlate to opening up the economy very quickly. And so we are still, um, we more look like the US in, in January or February, rather than obviously what you see now with most states being completely open, um, and really loosening their restrictions, and so there's an uncomfortable uh, irritation that's developing here.
0: Well, I know your uh, Toronto uh, Blue Jay baseball team is still, you know, not playing uh, in uh, what has uh, been formerly known as the Sky Dome, the Rogers Center. I don't know what the uh, ballpark is named these days, uh, but uh, you know, your, your professional <laughs> sporting, just, go ahead.
1: Yeah, they just returned. Oh, okay. They just returned, so uh, it is limited capacity in the crowd. Um, so I believe it's only fifteen thousand or so. Mm. So I mean, it's great to have the Jays back. Um, but they didn't play at home for <laughs> I think it was essentially fifteen months. Wow, um, which in pro sports is pretty wild, given part of I mean part of the um, part of the 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 allure of pro sports is the fan experience and your home crowd and and all of that jazz. so. Uh, it's nice to have them back, but it certainly did take a long time.
0: David, can you just give us uh, you know a little insight without going too far into the history of uh, you know Canada and, and its uh, government. Uh, just give us kind of the layout. Mm-hmm. To, you know, we kind of know what the southeast is like here in the United States compared to the northeast, out west, in the Midwest, yep. down to Texas and Florida. Just give us kind of an overview of what Canada is like from a government standpoint
1: yeah. so I mean, federally, we have a parliamentary system uh, which makes it a little different than than what you guys have federally in the United States. Right now, we have a minority government, um, which would kind of be like if um, if there were multiple parties represented in Congress and none of them had a majority. um and so what that means federally is that a an election can happen at any moment. Um, if if a bill, Uh, gets voted down, um, that triggers an election because that's what's called losing the confidence of the House. Um, And that's the situation that we are in right now. It it very much looks like the liberals who are in power with Justin Trudeau are – they feel like they're looking good in the polls, and it looks like they're going to try and force an election, um, which most people aren't really happy about. Um, It's – I mean, we saw (laughs) – we. We kind of watched um, eagerly what was going on in the United States with your your uh, election federally. And, I mean, I can say the last thing I want to see is uh, not to know who's won on election night and to have mm-hmm. issues with mail-in ballots and all of that jazz. So I hope we don't end up in, the, in an election, but it's possible uh, that we could uh, in the next month or so, actually.
0: And, uh, you know, we hear a lot about uh, Justin Trudeau and uh, some of the hot water he gets in. Somehow he's able to work his way through that. Uh, What's his popularity like uh, in in the country?
1: Well, he's still still fairly popular. I think a lot of the shine has worn off, Um, so he's certainly not as popular as he was. But I think most of his popularity just comes from the fact that the two main opposition parties – um, leave a lot to be desired. There there are a lot of questions about whether or not people really trust them um, with the keys to the car, uh, so to say. And so I think that some of how Justin Trudeau is looking in the polls really rests on the fact that the opposition parties, the conservatives who are your conservatives and your NDP, who are more kind of like your Green New Deal AOC-type Democrats, um both of them seem to be a little in shambles right now. So uh, Trudeau is still popular for me. I can't understand why, um, because there's a long list of reasons why um, why he isn't a particularly likable figure. Uh, but yeah, he does seem to have some popularity. But it really depends on where you live in Canada, because just like the United States, the political culture across Canada is wildly different depending on where you live.
0: David Clement with us, uh, pinch hitting for Yael Osowski with the Consumer Choice Center this morning. He's north of the border, uh, you know, in the Toronto, uh, Ontario area, and uh, uh, one. Uh, thank you for providing us that perspective I gotta say you know we're probably the only news outlet in the entire United States of America that know more about north of the border now and its political state uh, than any other news outlet has told us despite the fact that they are on for 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 <laughs> days of the year so thank you for that very informative uh, you know, layout of what life is like uh, you know uh, in Canada this morning It's amazing that we just uh, ignore uh, many of these sorts of uh, topics and news items that to me would be very interesting to be able to gather a a wider perspective, a global perspective on the way, you know, the world works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially in terms of how COVID is being dealt with, because Mm. there are so many different examples. Um, and I think that there, I mean, there are some positive lessons from Canada, but there are also some, some pretty heavy negative ones as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a pleasure to, to let people know what's going on up here in our, uh, in our igloos and, (laughs) um, <laughs> Letting them know how we're we're uh, we're managing the the cold weather. I say ironically.
0: Well, speaking of the cold weather and this push, uh, you know, for renewable energy in our country, all around <laughs> the world, to turn greener, uh, to uh, tap into air, uh, wind, and solar, uh, to stray away from you know fossil fuels, uh, natural gas, a very clean, effective way. Nuclear. I'm not sure why we aren't tapping, you know, into those sorts of uh, you know avenues either. But uh, yesterday, uh, the president of the United States announced a, a plan that he uh, hopes to push forward over the next uh, decade. Now, in nine years, he hopes that 50 uh, percent of the vehicles that we travel with, uh, you know, and, and in uh, must be zero emission by 2030. Uh, Uh, the Consumer Choice Center has followed this topic at length, uh, both here uh, locally, nationally, and and, and internationally. Just kind of give us the layout as to why you think these sorts of efforts and mandates actually restrict uh, consumer choice in the way in which, you know, we like to buy things.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, there's a couple issues with with Biden's executive order. I mean, I can understand why he wants to do it um, in terms of protecting the environment, but it, it, it almost seems like the Biden administration is forgetting how complicated it can be for consumers to actually buy electric vehicles, depending on the state you live in. So we did some research uh, on this, my colleague Elizabeth Hicks and I, and there are over 20 states where it's actually illegal to buy an electric vehicle directly from the manufacturer. So you can't buy a Tesla in over 20 states directly from Tesla or Rivian truck or anything like that. And so the whole mandate of having 50% of vehicles be electric by a certain date kind of seems silly um, when, in fact, in any of these states, like an example would be if you live in Alabama, uh, you have to drive – you have to have your Tesla delivered to an address in Florida – you then have to have that Tesla loaded up on a truck, driven to the Alabama DMV. You have to register it then in Alabama, and you pay something like three or four hundred percent more to register it than you would <laughs> an ordinary vehicle. Um, so, it, it, and obviously that makes uh, electric vehicles incredibly more expensive, which is part of the reason why right now um, it skews towards wealthier people. Um, and so it, it kind of seems like they've forgotten that these old, outdated regulations exist. And if you don't do anything about those regulations, you're creating a policy that's set up to fail because you're going to mandate that that consumers have to buy electric vehicles, but in so many states, they're going to be really limited in their ability to buy them. Um, So it's, it's a huge misstep. I mean, beyond that, right now, electric vehicles are very expensive, so there's going to have to be a serious effort to reduce costs and, better the supply chain for everything from lithium to cobalt and all of the things that go into making these batteries. Because if you don't do that, um, having 50% of all vehicles in the United States be priced at 50, dollars $60,000 um, is not great, uh, and it's certainly not great for, for those um, who are middle income or lower income. Um, so there's something that has to be done there in terms of cost as well, so that um, so that if you want people to be able to buy electric vehicles, they have to have access and they can't be breaking the bank to try and buy an electric vehicle as well. so a lot of issues here uh, in terms of this executive order.
0: We'll say we go down the pathway and create uh, avenues that make it more affordable for the American consumer to purchase a car you know an electric vehicle but then looking into the future you know as a there's a push, of course, uh, to uh, shut down, uh, you know, some of the traditional uh, forms of energy that we consume day to day in favor uh, of uh, things like solar and wind. Uh, we see it in the state of California, for instance, uh, where they've got growing electricity shortages, uh, rising electricity mm-hmm. prices. Does this uh, eventually you know, become less cost effective in the future, even if we make and take all these steps now to reach this, you know, uh, this uh, high expectation that he kind of laid out for us yesterday?
1: Yeah, it's a, you raise a very good point. And that's why I think it's probably best for the government to try and remain technology neutral, right? Have as many energy sources as possible and have them battle it out in terms of what's effective and let the market figure out what's going to provide us the 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 best source of energy with the lowest emissions possible, rather than trying to say, oh, I'm going to pick this technology. I mean, you go back to Cylindra. Um, and, and the issues of government trying to pick winners and losers. And, I mean, more often than not, that just ends up in a lot of wasted money um, and and poor outcomes, and California is certainly an example of that. And you also raised a very good point in terms of nuclear energy. I mean, the stats on nuclear energy are incredible. I mean, for, for every one nuclear plant um, that stopped from being developed – I think it's like a a hundred million metric tons of additional CO2 that are emitted um, into the atmosphere. And so you have climate activists who are super passionate about saving the environment, but strangely enough, they also hate nuclear energy. And it really leads me scratching my head because here we have something, um, so long as you're not building it on a fault line um, where you're prone to earthquakes or something like that, you have a very reliable, safe source of energy um, that's clean. Um, and so it, it really irritates me when I see climate activists, both in Canada and the United States and in Europe as well, um, really beat the drum against nuclear energy when it's an option for us to have safe, reliable energy that's low emissions. And I mean, they, how it's very hard. Who's against the idea of having hmm. cheap, low emission energy?
0: Yeah, it's kind of baffling to me, uh, particularly as uh, we continue to see you know, the rise in the costs of uh, you know, fuel, uh, the shortage that some of us experienced uh, not too long ago mm-hmm. because of the disruption, the pipeline, and uh, you know, why we can't have this you know, all kind of uh, you know, portfolio, a wide portfolio when it comes to the ways in which we consume, and we all know. And we're able to put forth, uh, you know, affordable, efficient, abundant, uh, you know, energy that uh, bodes well for all people, particularly you know people on the lower end of the socioeconomic scale.
1: Hmm. Yeah, very good point. I mean, whenever we inflate energy prices, uh, some of us may be able to stomach that and take on the extra cost. but there's a lot of us, and it's the most vulnerable among us who aren't, mm. um, and they kind of get left on the sidelines in terms of some of these discussions um, because we get wrapped up in good intentions, right? The good intentions of being better for the environment. But if, if you're going to soak more people in the process, you have to ask yourself if there's a better way.
0: David Clement with us here this morning with the Consumer Choice Center. He and Yael Osowski host the Consumer Choice Radio Show, 10 o'clock Saturday mornings here on the Big Talker FM. Uh, David, as uh, we have this conversation particularly over the past week on this uh, extension of the eviction moratorium that's been in place for the last several months, and it's been a bad policy from the get-go, and I'll say it uh, even Mm -hmm. when it started with the Trump administration, but this goes into this broader conversation we have and people pushing you know affordable housing on us across the country the need for more affordable housing government wants to get involved in this let's require this that and the other so builders develop uh, you know uh, structures that are more affordable uh, yet somehow some way we continue to see across many of our major us cities significant increases in rental prices uh, uh, the prices of uh, you know home sales uh, when it comes to you know new construction uh, construction that's uh, been around for 30 40 years you know why do we continue mm-hmm. to see you know these prices skyrocket uh, despite all the efforts going into creating a more affordable way of life uh, in our country
1: yeah so i mean the, the, the one smaller reason why this happens is that input prices are going up, um, so something like the cost of lumber. Um, so the Trump administration, I think, made the very silly decision to add tariffs on Canadian lumber, and obviously we have a lot of it here in Canada, um, and then the Biden administration increased those tariffs. And so um, that obviously makes everything from building homes to building a deck uh, for your house more expensive. Um, but the real kicker here in terms of why life is getting more, uh, why housing, whether rental or or purchasing, is getting more expensive is that there's a growing, uh, very uncomfortable movement of what I call NIMBYs, which is not in my backyard. Um, and these, these types of people, they'll talk about affordable housing. But if um, something with even moderate density is proposed to be built in their neighborhood, they'll protest it, they'll lobby their local government to try and block it. Um, There was a really uncomfortable example here in terms of them, uh, where I live, wanting to turn a golf course into 3,400 new homes, um, mixed density, all sorts of different things. It would have been fantastic. And the local government basically uh, sidestepped the whole process and designated it a cultural heritage site. Mm -hmm. And now it can no longer be developed (laughs) for housing. Um, and so, obviously, if you decrease the supply of uh, of housing, the prices go up. And so you see rental prices go up. You see the home purchase price go up. And this is happening across North America in pretty much every major city where, where people really want to live. Um, and it's a shame that we're letting uh, these NIMBYs control the discussion so much that they're inflating these prices. And it goes back to what you said about... The, the the people who are on the lower socioeconomic status uh, kind of ladder, um, for them, if their rental price, if, if the average rental price uh, in a particular state goes up by 5 or 6% for a two-bedroom uh, unit, I mean, that's an incredible burden to take on in the context of the taxes you already pay, in the context of other inflation that's happening in terms of consumer goods. And so it's really creating... But I feel it's like this perfect storm of awfulness uh, that's, that is really going to be uh, shouldered by, by poor people. And I mean, that, that to me is, is probably the worst um, outcome you could have
0: with public policy. David Clement once again with us uh, from the Consumer Choice Center. And this is a topic, obviously, that weighs heavy in our region uh, along the uh, Mm -hmm. Carolina coast, given that we live in the fastest growing uh, region in all of the country. We've got two of the fastest growing counties in our state. And, uh, you know, top 20 in the country, you know, located right here on the Carolina coast. Uh, so, you know, growth, development, uh, the construction industry, home prices, rental prices, these are all things that are very significant to the people living here or looking to move here and live, work, and play here and do it while keeping the quality of life, uh, you know, intact while also uh, making it and keeping it, you know, an affordable place to live. I mean, some people will say mm-hmm. we're already priced out of the market, but, you uh, you know, some of these policies and efforts uh, look to me, it's only going to make the situation worse.
1: Yeah. And I mean, if we look at the data for North Carolina as a state, which I know it varies much by region and, and, and what specific uh, spot we're looking at. So I think the average home price between 2019 and 2020 increased over 5%. Um, and the general inflation rate for the U.S. Is, was at the time, uh, I think, was something like, one and a half or 1.8 percent, and so your 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 income um, and and everything else that you would use to kind of measure housing affordability is le- most likely not increasing quickly enough to keep pace with five percent um, added on to the average home price each year, and so it, it leaves a lot of people saying there if they're if if you're priced out of the market now. Um, Unless you have some drastic increase in your uh, your income, it, the situation doesn't look like it's going to get much better, uh, at least not in the short term, uh, because that, that type of price inflation is just, I think, unsustainable from my point of view.
0: David before I let you go uh, as uh, you know we wrap up our conversation and uh hitting some uh, you know very relevant topics let's uh, you know move to one that's uh, you know to me uh, sort of a joke and uh, you know is a five clown on the bozo meter sort of uh, you know situation that's been going on up in the uh, you know, Empire State of uh, New York and their governor I mean the bulbs of garlic on this guy you know, get no bigger than uh, what we've seen over the past week uh, despite calls from the highest ranking uh, democrats in the country including the president of the United States himself governor Cuomo seems to be uh, going nowhere fast you're going to have to drag his rear end uh, you know out of Albany if uh, you know the folks out there have their way what do you make of uh, Cuomo he was uh, what not too long ago, one of the leading candidates for the Democratic nomination for President of the United States. Boy, has he fell from glory since then.
1: Oh, I, I so for those who don't maybe know what's, what's gone on, essentially Cuomo was accused of, I would say, some pretty serious um, accusations of misconduct, where he was making very inappropriate um, sexual propositions to female staffers who worked for him. Um, and the original kind of accusations came out, and he said he would su- he would support the attorney general's office doing uh, an investigation. The the AG's office did do an investigation, and basically they came back and said, "Yeah, it's all true. Um, we found enough to say that it's all true." And he's still denying it. He's still saying that he never did any of this inappropriateness. And the real hypocrisy here is that Cuomo was a was a very loud advocate for the MeToo mm. movement. <laughs> And he would tweet about Justice Kavanaugh. He would tweet about all sorts of other instances where he has to believe survivors, which I think is a legitimate position. Um, and so he was on the side of the Me Too movement and, and very much a vocal, uh, a vocal adversary for anyone caught up in some of these scandals. And now he has his own, and it's like he forgot who he was. Um, a year and a half, two, three years ago when all of these things were unfolding. And the worst part of this is, and this isn't to to downplay the instances of sexual misconduct that he uh, is alleged to have committed, the worst thing he's done, which I think should have been impeachable immediately when the news came out, is when he forced people back Mm. into old folks' homes and nursing homes, and then his office got caught cooking the books on COVID deaths to try and downplay it. For me, that should have been um, that should have been grounds for him to be gone. I think the combination of the two mean that his expiration date is well behind him.
0: And with that said, uh, you know, of course, no one is talking about that uh, piece of the puzzle. That's being overshadowed by uh, you know some of his other indiscretions that uh, he continues to deny and uh, you know keep his mouth shut on. It's uh, unbelievable, uh, again, that this guy still has uh, power and oversees you know a state uh, that is uh, you know as vast and big as uh, New York and influential when it comes to you know national uh, policy and politics. David, thanks so much. Uh, great, yeah. great information today, and I look forward to hearing you as always tomorrow morning.
1: Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate
0: it, Joe. That's David Clement uh, with uh, the Consumer Choice Center, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice, co-hosts with Yaya Lasowski, our friend, and the Consumer Choice Radio Show, again, airs uh, Saturdays at 10 a.m. right here on The Big Talker FM.